Welcome to our podcast. I'm Sam Hyatt, CEO of The Rights Factory. In this episode, we're talking about book talk. Just like you, Sam, I was like, what is book talk? Why am I hearing it in every single conversation I'm in? It just kind of took over in the last like month or two in publishing as a whole. We have an editorial on plagues and content. If you're thinking about writing a COVID book to ride a wave, you've probably missed it. And we have an update on the rights sales situation in Bologna and London now that those fairs are going virtual uh, from our rights manager in Naples. But now we actually had a very, a very good year. So this is the, the strange thing after the pandemic. In today's panel, we're talking about how TikTok is helping authors achieve better sales and um, I'm joined today by Diane Tarana, executive editor at The Rights Factory and the author of The World on Either Side. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, we also have uh, Lindsay Reeder, who is a digital marketing senior manager at Harlequin Trade Publishing. Hi, everyone. Hi, Lindsay. And finally, we have Marissa Noel, who is an author of young adult and middle grade novels leaning towards grounded science fiction, urban fantasy, and paranormal. That's me. Thanks for having me on. Great. We've got everybody here. So I'm just going to start off by saying, you know, when I first uh, heard about TikTok, it was really about agents signing people that were TikTok stars. And then all of a sudden, you know, they were they were becoming like the new Lily Sings or whatever. And then all of a sudden now I'm hearing... Uh, book talk. And I'm like, I remember a few weeks ago, uh, I was like, what is book talk? So that led to this, this panel today. Um, So I'm so glad you guys are here who are actually on this uh, platform. Um, And my first question is, how did that happen? Do you uh, anybody want to start with that? Uh, I'm happy to dive straight in here. Um, From what I've seen, I've been on TikTok for a couple of months now. And there's a lot more engagement um, in TikTok than in YouTube. You can interact, you can comment on um, TikTok videos are either 15 seconds or a minute. Um, and you can, what we call stitch or duet with somebody who is doing that video, which means you can have their video playing and leave your own comments. Um, and it's a great way to have a discussion with the book community, which you can't do on YouTube. Um, and it's a great way to voice your opinions and create threads and discussions that the whole community become, can become part of uh, instead of just watching one YouTuber's review catalogue of what they've read in whatever year. Um, so I think that's the key. The engagement factor is the difference between them both. Yeah, I think the other part, too, is that it's very short form content, which I think, you know, especially Gen Z in particular are very used to and they consume quicker and faster, but they still convert, which is really great to see as well. So I think it's really interesting when it comes to um, this short form content of getting things out there quickly, fastly. And like it's just it's a whole new world in a sense, especially uh, wearing my publisher's hat. I say just like you, Sam, I was like, what is book talk? Why am I hearing it in every single conversation I'm in? It just kind of took over in the last like month or two in publishing as a whole. Okay, and just to be clear, I am not on TikTok. I'm an author who's not on it or not on any channel and have zero desire to go on any channel as well for more philosophical reasons. But 
I did do a tour of it to figure out what we were talking about for today. And it's also geared to very young people. Is that correct? That was certainly my understanding. Yes, that's the case. It's it's usually, I think the demographic is 34 and under. That's the majority of the audience. Um, but then there's the, you know, my moms of the world who are like sitting there saying like, okay, what is TikTok? I keep hearing about it. So they're dipping their toes. I think in six months, this will be a very different conversation. I think it'll be an older demographic moving over to it as well. Absolutely. I agree with that. So are these... Are these ads or endorsements? Like, what are they really? Because if you've got like a minute or, or less to, to do your video, how much, how, how can you really sell a book in that time? Like, I'm a little baffled by it. Well, this is, this is my argument against it, in fact, that it's an anti-literacy platform, basically. We're looking at glitzy, less than one minute, pony and dog and pony productions to sell a book, a book. I mean, I consider literature somewhat sacred, and um, it's, it's a concern for me that this is what we're putting out there to the kids who are to assess a book on how alluring an author is. I think there are a lot of different uh, types of videos that go on to BookTok. Um, and one of them is the aesthetics that we we're talking about now. Um, to have the mood of a book created so that a reader will see whether it's a fantasy genre or there's romance in it and create that atmosphere is very enticing and tempting and makes you want to dive into the pages that evokes those emotions. Um, so that's one side of it. And there are some really big book talkers getting huge followings in a short amount of times just by producing these aesthetics. Um, there's also the people like bloggers um, who will come in and just talk about the book. They will talk about the common um, tropes uh, and you can decide if you're a particular fan of an enemies to lover situation or a love triangle situation, whether those are the tropes that you love to read about and whether that might be the right book for you. So it creates a whole discussion. I don't think it's just about these little trailers. There's a lot more going on um, in the community than, than one way of looking at it. Um, and the community by large is very friendly and so eager to connect with people. There's a lot of people on BookTok who don't have friends in real life that read books. Um, so these are people reaching out to have discussions um, about these books and saying, hey, I love this book. Let me share my passion with you. Can you read it too? Tell me what you thought. Uh, and it's just a great way to, to have that conversation. And I'm finding, interestingly enough, that it's less about like the content of the book and more about the emotion that it evokes. Um, I've, I'm finding a lot of like books that made me cry, books that made me smile and laugh. It's it's tied around an emotion, which I don't know if that's like, like again, like the younger demographic thing. But now, like it's shifted how in publishing anyway, in marketing as a whole, how we're kind of talking to these consumers. It's more about emotion based and less about the content itself, which has been really interesting. That shift as a whole. That's that's my concern, less about the content. I, I did find one, uh, I, I found one youngish author who was selling her violent erotica. And um, this is geared to young people, teenagers are on it, and she was selling it in one clip with some captions. And one of the captions was, he gets off on making her bleed. Another one was, he loves to f*** her with his gun. And I just felt profoundly sad at yeah. that. I, I, I have not come across anything like that, to be honest. Um, and I would too, if I saw that. There's a lot of authors. 
Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of spice, as they like to call it, on on book talk. So there's a huge corner of those who like uh, spicy romance. Perhaps it hasn't got the literary criticism in you know the traditional world. So these authors are on um, book talk, and they have a following, and they have a lot of readership there. Um, and obviously, there are these subgenres, and one of them is the violence. Um, but uh, most of the authors I've seen have disclaimers about this is only for 18 plus, don't follow me. But the reality of that is that we have a lot of kids on BookTok. So I agree, Diane, that those concerns are valid. Um, yeah. At the moment, yeah. this thing is exploding and we don't really have the way to police that, I guess. I mean, TikTok does um, have to approve your videos. Uh, so that is definitely an area that we might need to look more into as as it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't know the statistics around it, so I can't actually say definitively this is how fast it's growing. But I do think that the pandemic had an, a, a huge impact. Uh, TikTok came out before then. It was another app, blah, blah, blah. But essentially, um, it was kind of people were dipping their toes, but it was like a young platform in March of 2020. And then people were home and bored and um, TikTok kind of blew up. I think that the, the pandemic really helped that app in a, as a whole. So I think this is just kind of the beginning I think it's going to be huge um, and in marketing world we're like looking at it with a whole different lens right now I, I think there's going to be massive amounts of play money things happening on TikTok as a whole I, I agree with you Lindsay I um since I've joined two months ago I have so many author friends and uh, editors I have a work at publishing houses I've seen now join TikTok the bloggers are now talking about the books that publishers are sending them. So publishers are recognising that this is a place um, to send their art copies to get people talking about their books, um, not just on Instagram or blogs, etc. So I think you're right. I think we're at the beginning and I'm seeing some huge accounts uh, develop who are going to be mega influencers um, as we carry on this journey. So I think it's definitely a place worth investing and the great thing is that anyone can do it, whether you're an agency or an author or an editor or a publishing house, you can all be on there uh, promoting promoting a book. I did try to imagine some of my favorite authors on it, like Toni Morrison or Rowington Mystery, um, Jojo Moyes, and I couldn't. Uh, mm -hmm. I did imagine the Kardashians on it, and then I found them immediately, right? Which I think says everything that's wrong with it, in my view. Uh, I, I also looked for, because it's a YA platform more than other mm -hmm. books, I looked for my favorite YA author, Meg Rossoff, and I couldn't find her on it either. Uh, so do you think it's going to extend into the more established authors, Lindsay and Marissa? Or is it going to, to appeal to up-and-coming indie authors or new debut authors who are trying to get a, a leg up? I think it's both. Uh, Victoria Aveyard is already on there and has a huge following along with a couple of others who have, uh, I can't quite remember at the moment. Um, I think the huge author names are on there because people want to see a slice of their life. So they might not be doing promotion per se, but they might be talking about, hey, I had this idea or here's where I write from or this is what my life is, bringing the reader into their home and developing that relationship. Whereas for the indie author, it is about getting your name out there, trying to get the readers interested in your content and to find a platform and a followership. So I think it will do both, um, to be honest. And I think uh, I think everyone should get on there. <laughs>
join me. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's certain authors I would kind of say, oh, I don't think that's the platform for you. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say it because um, I, it's just a lot of work that goes into creating content and some content works and some doesn't. And so I think, you know, Toni Morrison on the platform, it just wouldn't feel authentic to Toni Morrison. So I don't, I wouldn't recommend that to her. Um, but I think that there's certain authors, for instance, Taylor Jenkins Reid, whose book blew up, The Seven Husband, um, what one's hers? Uh, the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. That was her mm-hmm. book. Uh, blew up on that platform. Mm-hmm. Backlist had such a huge moment. Um, I, I would advise like someone like her, who's very comfortable in social media world, to create a platform. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to feel comfortable on the platform uh, to make it work, or it'll just seem forced, and um, the community will see right through it. And just be yourself. I mean, you can't copy exactly. somebody else's methods. You just have to do what you can do. Um, like, I, I'm not a funny person, so I, I, <laughs> I'm more of a genuine, here's my running advice, here's what I'm working on. I go for that route rather than trying to make people laugh because that's not my thing. Wow. Okay, well, there's a lot to process here. Um, I, I think we have to come back in about six months and, and see where, where all this is. So I'd be very curious. And, and Diane, I think you're right. It would be great to see if... Uh, Salman Rushdie's on there sometime. Um, well, let's make let's make it a date. Six months <laughs> from now, the four of us back here. Per- perfect. Okay. Perfect. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks, Diane. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, guess what? I forgot to record that <laughs> on the, the video. I mean. This week's opinion piece is from our very own Diane Tarana, offering words of wisdom on writing about COVID. Hello there. This is for you authors who think you may want to write about COVID. I've read several manuscripts in the last few months that struggle with this issue. Authors, ask yourself some questions. Why do you want to write about COVID? Are you jumping on a trend? Are you interested in building our new world? Are you tipping your hat at all the other humans and saying, yes, I too have experienced this pandemic? Do you have something to say or explore about COVID? Or do you have a story that will benefit from a pandemic setting? If you have something to say that will sustain an entire book or a story that will flourish in a pandemic setting, then great, go ahead. I would never argue but you might want to keep listening. If you want to jump on the COVID trend, here are some numbers. At the Rice Factory, we've sold three COVID books, two nonfiction and one YA fiction. The first nonfiction is already out. The second is coming out in August and the YA fiction is due to hit the shelves in the fall. One exasperated editor recently told Sam he was receiving two to three pandemic submissions a week. And a quick survey of Publishers Marketplace turned up 28 acquired works of pandemic fiction and 74 works of nonfiction. Hence, if you're thinking about writing a COVID book to ride a wave, you've probably missed it. Maybe though you're building our new world. Several authors, including yours truly, are currently writing or finishing up novels that we assume will be sold in a post-pandemic world. We may be wrong, but we're trying to imagine the little legacies of COVID to add a realistic setting to novels that are not about COVID, that could have been written well before it ever struck. When I read these manuscripts, including mine, actually especially mine, I trip over the pandemic references. 
While it does seem remiss not to acknowledge such a world-shaking event, and while there may be lasting legacies, the references feel strangely odd, out of place, and even like they're breaking that third wall. As an editor and an author, I'm keeping my eye on these things. Then there's the, are you tipping your hat at the rest of the world? That just feels gratuitous and completely unnecessary. Everyone knows that everyone has been through a pandemic. Some manuscripts have what I'm calling non-sequitur COVID chunks inserted willy-nilly into them. Now, to be clear, these are manuscripts that are not about the pandemic that were, in fact, largely written before COVID struck. When I look at these sections, I bring my, my favorite checklist to it. Does this segment move the book along? Is it integral to the story? Is it necessary to what comes after? Is it a logical extension of what came before? If the answer to all these questions is no, the material has to go. COVID has impacted all of us, yes. But if you find you're jamming a COVID reference scene or God forbid whole chapter into your already basically finished manuscript at the last minute, don't, just don't. If it has nothing to do with your story, it should not be on the page. Thanks for hearing me out. This is Diane Tirana, Executive Editor at The Rights Factory, coming to you from the GTA. For hundreds of years, the, uh, the right selling of, of literary properties have hap- happened in person in places like Frankfurt, London, and Bologna. And in the last a few years, of course, it's been impossible. So things have moved virtually. Today, we have our special guest, Millie Ruggiero, who is our own foreign rights manager at the Rights Factory uh, in Naples right now. We're going to just check in with her about what's happening. Um, hi, Millie. Hi. And and also on the in this talk, we have um, Diane Tarana. Hi, Sam. Thanks. Awesome. So, um, uh, Millie, so I guess... One of the things that struck me is is uh, doing this virtually. Like I know that the both Bologna and London over the last two years have tried to do this in person, and then they waited, 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 and finally they gave up. Um, so there's been a kind of logistical thing happening. But how have you found it trying to to kind of move from the old way to the new way? What's, what's it like now? Because my first <laughs> Frankfurt, all I remember was all the booze, and I would walk into a party, and it would say Flammarion, and there was all this Veuve Clicquot, and I'm like, I love the French, this free champagne. So what's it like without the parties and the Prosecco? Uh, I, oh, yes, this is a kind of important thing that we actually miss sometimes, because it's, uh, when you have a virtual meeting, it's, uh, we don't really mention anything about that. We mention something from the past, and from a possible future, but not actually from the present because we don't drink. We don't drink when, uh, while we are in a meeting. So it's a completely different situation. And uh, especially this type of parties, this is something that we actually, uh, we are thinking in a positive way that we can absolutely go back and go back to Frankfurt and all the book fairs that actually uh, will be on. I was just going to ask, did you end up enjoying Bologna, the new way? I actually enjoyed. I enjoyed because there there was many publishers I didn't actually meet before. So I, I they gave me the chance to actually connect, be in contact with the new publishers and do new people 
and uh, and this is something that is very important because in this way you can create and uh, your network of uh, clients, customers, or uh, this type of colleagues anyway, or possibly friends in the future. So it's a long-lasting relationship that you actually can build to uh, through the the book first platforms, but. Anyway, thinking positively that everything can be physical again. Great. I read somewhere that they said the deal flow was the same as before, even though everything's moving virtual. So basically, the, my thinking reading that is that the fact that this is ha- right sale is happening all the time digi- digitally without depending on the physical fares is making up for the fact that the fares have kind of evaporated until possibly this fall for Frankfurt and next year for the other fares. Actually, we had an increase. In increasing sales, in increasing sales, even in our local market. So the thing was that we were scared about Netflix or this type of, of things because we didn't think that we could possibly have re- more readers. But this is what happened. Actually, we had more readers and an increase in uh, publishing distribution. So, and also bookshops. At the beginning, where we were a little bit scared about this situation of bookshops. Is this is this in Italy only, or I've, most in of Europe, Europe now? In Europe, this has happened in Europe in uh, many places in, in Germany, in France. So this is, and also because bookshops actually started to do their individual pl- online shopping system they built up this kind of things so it was not having the the giving the responsibilities to amazon or re- very big uh, shopping like uh, suppliers anyway but to give the individual bookshoppers actually the the chance to sell their books and uh, not close so this is uh, this was a very important point and this happened uh, more or less in all of europe they had an increase in uh, in uh, in selling for uh, the local market, but also uh, they started to, to buy and, uh, and um, so the, all the sales point was actually increasing rather than decreasing anyway. So this was a wow. very, yes, a very good thing for the European market anyway, in this period. We were also thinking that in Italy we were going to, because we didn't have so many readers in the past, but now we actually had a very, a very good year. So this is the the strange thing after the pandemic. So yes, this is. So the pandemic scared everybody, but then it helped everybody. The, yes. the disruption of it kind of. Yes. Everybody, as usual, everybody kind of came together and. Uh, but publishing people are very strange. Is it? It reminds always reminds me of being in university and joining the English Society, and everybody's talking about all the same stuff. It's like. The publishing community is like that group, but made worldwide into like a hundred languages in a hundred countries. They so. they are always all, um, obviously very cautious to buy uh, books. They want some something very strong anyway from the foreign countries. So, for example, in France, in Germany. So it's it's very difficult, but you can absolutely have many many points of sales anyway. So it's, uh, it's a good period. In, in a strange way, it was unpredictable, but in the end, the result is absolutely great. Well, I'm hoping we can, um, this Frankfurt, I'm hoping we can all hang out and have drinks because the one thing to me that alcohol adds to these book fairs, this is from personal experience, is that if I'm just talking to somebody after about five or six hours, I get tired. But if I drink, then I get an extra five or six hours. <laughs> But then you pay for that later. Yes, exactly. And especially the next morning, I think. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that. It's absolutely crazy. But thanks so much, Millie. That was great. Thank uh, you. Good update. Thank you. Thank you, Millie. Thank you very much. 
So that's our show, folks. I want to thank our guests and especially our awesome producer, Andrew Kaufman. Take care and see you next week. Thank you.